We started last week by um, just kind of talking about a new series that we, we were going to actually start this, this morning. And so I tried to tee it up some last week. And um, talking about every, every, everyday counts, we talked about that last week, just about the importance of weighing out every, every day, what, what can I do for God today? And then this morning, I'm, I'm going to start by talking about finding your, your place. And this, this could be one of the most important series that we do all year long, is um, for you to find your place in your church. And so it's, it's one thing to go, I like this particular church. It's one thing to go, I'm going to attend this particular church. It's, it's another thing entirely to say, I have found my, my place at that church. And so that's really what, what we want to talk about for the next three weeks specifically, about the importance of us finding our place where we worship and getting plugged in, getting connected, and using our gifts for the kingdom of, 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 of God. So... I want to talk about finding your place, and I think that that starts by talking about finding your seat. And I want you to imagine with me, uh, I know I've got three chairs up, up here, but I want you to imagine this being a table. And we have a table that is spread and put together, and it, it is welcoming, and it's, it's a table that beckons you to come and sit and to converse and to just enjoy company. And whenever you see a table like that, I think that setting is, is very important. The people who you're with is very important. Um, you obviously, you collect the right people in your life for those specific moments around a table. It's almost like a, a sacred thing. I know when I was growing up, our table was sacred. Um, we, we would meet there every night, and, and we had to. I was just telling Robert the, the other night, we, we were well into our teens before I ever convinced my parents that we could have a dinner without being at our table. And so it was just a moment where we shared and talked about our day, and we laughed, and sometimes we were disciplined. And, and it, it, was just, it was just a place where there was a lot of sac- sacred things. When I eat at my in-laws, we, we don't necessarily have assigned seating, but we tend to gravitate toward the same spot every single time. And so I always know that to my left is going to be Riley, and to my right is going to, going to be Robbie, and, and, and I can tell you where every person sits around that, that particular table. And again, it's not that we're assigned there. We just have, we have a seat that we like, and that's where we, we go. When I was growing up, my father had a, a chair at our table. It's not that you couldn't sit there. You just didn't because we knew that was his. And he would tell you, this is my spot. That's what I want to be. And, you know, you could twist his arm and sit there occasionally. But most of, of the time, that was his spot and, and, and his, his position. And that's where he wanted to be. And so the chairs at our table became indicative of the roles that were in our, our home and, and everyday life. You never know who you're going to be seated at the table with. Um, because the, the seats at the table and the people who are there a lot of times are in constant shifting. And we have no idea really who will be added or taken away from the seats at our table over a year's span. Does anybody re- re- remember the, uh, the uh, kids' table? You had to start off at the kids' table. And the kids' table was awful. It, it was like this plastic 
uh, a table and it had folding chairs and um, it had marker all over it. And this is our, our kids' table. And, and so it had marker all over it. And it was, it was really, really low to the ground. And, and so even when you were, you know, 10, 10 years old, you couldn't get under it. And, and so you kind of had to take a corner and, and kind of square around it. It was just an awkward thing. And the question became, how do you eventually graduate from the kids' table to the grown-up table? And in our family, there was only one way. Somebody had to die. Okay, and so when someone died, then you, the oldest got to graduate and move on up. So we were always praying for death in our family. And um, if, if we take a hard look at our table, we ask ourselves, what would we experience there? What, what qualifies us to be at, at a, 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 a table? I want you to think about your table experiences and with your family, with your friend, your life groups, your, the people who you live life with. What would qualify you to be sitting at that table? Well, I, I think the first thing that you would notice about sitting at, at a table and finding your seat is that there's a lot of love there, okay? I, I love the people that sit at my table. I love the people that I go out and eat with. I love the people in this church that we, on a weekly basis, get to have some interaction with around a, a meal, and we get to laugh, and we get to talk about, about life and, and church and all kinds of, of fun stuff. Our, our kids, and we get to talk about all the idiosyncrasies and the surprises of, of our, our lives. But not every moment around a table is lovey-dovey. Not, not every moment with your family is filled with, with love. And the same rings true about our church family. Not every, not every single moment with our church family is lovey-dovey. There, there are some rocky roads sometimes, and here's why. Because every family has some friction, and that includes the church family. Every family, if we break it down, seems, and we just came off the holiday, so you can reflect on that if you need to. Every family seems to have a drunk uncle and a political activist and a crazy aunt and a cousin with a comb over and at least one loud mouth bully in, 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 at, at the table. I've had family members who believed if you were sick, you were in sin. I've had family members who were on the verge of racism. I've said some pretty, pretty, you know, on, on the, on the, on the aligned comments. I've had family members who had zero respect for anyone and they would, they would smoke a cigarette and blow it right in your face and laugh about it as you lay there choking. I've had family members say, oh, Kevin is here. I bet he's got a great sermon for us. Bring it on, preacher. All kinds of stuff. Sometimes there's just friction at our table. Sometimes there's confusion at our table. I remember one time when we lived in, in Richmond, Virginia, we decided we weren't coming home for Thanksgiving because it was a long drive. And so Robbie's aunt and uncle lived in Williamsburg, and we, we decided to go eat, eat with them. And so we gathered around a table, and they're very affluent and well-off. And it was intimidating because I'm not well-off. And so we were sitting around this table, and it was very ornate, and the house is ornate, and they're ornate, and the dog is ornate. Every, everybody is, is ornate. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and, and they, unbeknownst to me, they pass food clockwise. So they have everything laid out, and then you just kind of take what's in front of you, and you pick it up, and you start passing it. You know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, it goes around. When I grew up, we didn't pass food. You just stuck your plate out, 
to the person who was in front. He said, hey, throw some okra on that, will you? And, then you, hey, hey, can you, and plates are under each other and over each other. People are slopping mashed potatoes down and corn. That, that's how I grew up. And so I start reaching. And then what I couldn't reach, I got up and I thought, well, that looks great down there. I'm not going to inconvenience anybody. I'm just going to get up and go get it. So I did. I pushed my plate back. I got him. I went and got it. And Robbie's aunt is at the head of the table. And I'm like, I'm about to scoop up some, something delicious and throw it on my plate. And she goes, would you please go sit down? And I was like, I'm just here to get the mashed potatoes. She's like, go, go sit down. They're going to make their way to you. Just go, go, go sit down. And so I went and sat and never got up again. I raised my hand and said, can I go to the restroom? And so sometimes there's, there's confusion on how the table works and how it's supposed to play out. And, and this is why sometimes it takes people a while to get connected to a church because we come in, it's like a brand new table to us. We don't know how it's going to work and operate and who's who and where, where does, do I go for that? And, and so do you all pass the food? Do I just stick my plate out? Do I get it and go get it? What, what do I do? And so there's some confusion at, at every fam, family table. Sometimes there's some frustration. We we can, we can certainly plug that into our, our, our biological family. We can certainly plug that into our spiritual family. We, we think both in family and church, we can sit at a table in our mind. You may never say it, but you think it. Why does this person act the way they're acting? Why, do they, why are they talking crazy like that? Why are, they, why are they separating? Why are they so loud? Why is that person so loud? Turn it down. And so there's a lot sometimes of confusion and frustration, but there's also at our table, there's a big bond. And here's the anomaly about family is that I can look at my family and I, I can see that they, there's members of them. I'm glad they're not here this morning, but they, they, they are crazy. And so I, I look at them and I go, that person is crazy. Okay. And they may say that about me. I don't know. But the truth is that I can call my family crazy, but you don't, don't do it. Okay, you don't get to call them crazy. I get to because I'm in it. Okay, and so the same is about our church. Sometimes because we live in a small town, we'll we'll hear things about someone who attends our church, or we'll hear about our church how someone who's never been here perceives our body, and I will hear just a sly comment, and it sets me off because I go, I can call them crazy. Because I pastor them. I know they are crazy. But don't you call them crazy. Because they're my family. We have bond. Okay, So we often describe the church as, as a, a family. And why, why do we do that? Let me give you two quick scriptures about why that's kind of in, in our, our faith, our, in our, our language. Ephesians 2 and 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, that there's a house of faith and you're in it, you're not a stranger, you can come in and put your feet up on the coffee table and relax and talk about what you want to talk about and laugh as loud as as you want to laugh. And if you get crazy, that's fine. We'll love you anyway. 
Because you are a part of the family of God. Matthew 18, 20 reminds us of this great biblical truth. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. It was so important. Community, coming together, loving other people, being in relationship, being at a table, finding your seat and your place in the house of God became something that was very important. Where two or three are gathered. Here's the tough part about family. Is sometimes people walk away from family, even when we don't want them to. We've all experienced that on some level with our biological family. We, we see people walk out of our, our lives that we, we don't want to see walk away. And like every church family, we have had people walk away. We didn't want them to, but it happens. It's impossible to be the right church for every single person. We try, but we always fail, and we're always going to. It's impossible for one church to be the right church for every single person. People come to church, and they get frustrated at someone, or they get frustrated at at something. I had a person leave once because I used technology to speak from. They didn't like it. They just didn't like it. It felt, it felt like it wasn't holy. It felt like it wasn't sacred that that I was using technology to, to, to actually speak from. Some people leave when a church feels too big for them. Pastor Rick often tells a story about when New Life Church first started and people would come there and they would say, man, we are so glad that you're here in Conway and we're so glad that you've started this church. This is so great. We've, we've left our church to come here because our church got too big. And he would always just say, you know, what, what about it is too uncomfortable for you? What, what, what about it? Is, is wrong that it's too big? Is it that too many people are being saved or baptized or too many people are, are having their marriages come back together or there's too many cars in the parking lot? What's, what's too big about it? But people will sometimes leave when it's too big. The church, hear me, this is very important. The church, like every family, we have to learn to disagree without departure. We have to learn to have disagreements without having departure. And people often ask me about our church, and I love that part. I love answering questions about our church, about what we want to do in this city, or about how we believe about a certain scripture or so on. And I, 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 I love that. And, and so a lot of these questions, though, are coming from a former experience of a church now to this church. And so they ask questions based upon a former experience. And nine out of ten times the heart on those questions is always right. But people will ask me about it. And they'll, they'll say things like, like, like this. Why, why, why don't you ever wear a suit on Sunday? They'll say things like, why is our music so loud? They'll say, why do we raise our hands? I mean, do, does everybody have a question or, or what? Well, I mean, why, why are people raising their hands? Why do people drink coffee in the sanctuary? It's so foreign. And then they say things like, in our new building, are we going to have stained glass? No. (laughs) Hey, in our new building, are we going to bring back the blue hymn book? And I love the blue hymn book. Okay, one page 150. Oh, I want to see him. Okay. But we're not ordering hymn books. Are we going to have a steeple? 
No. Okay. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with stained glass and steeples and hymn books. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just people asking, what is going on with this family? None of those questions bother me, but none of the content of those questions are important to me. And here's why. Because the building is not the the church. Hymns or steeples or stained glass or altars or communion tables or a choir with robes. None of, none of those things are the church. It was part of a church experience for many people. But here's the good news. You are the church. Doesn't matter the location. Doesn't matter the building. You are God's church. And so where you are, that's where His presence is going to be. You are His church. Our connection is much deeper than how much we like each other. It goes to bloodline. Listen, Jesus gave up his life so that all of us could sit together at the table. He gave up his life for that. So that all the frustration and all of the tension and all of those things can just be byproducts of just our experience of coming together. There's a monumental myth. Let me hop into this. There's a monumental myth. That only spiritual successful people can have a seat at this table. And the rest of us are spectators. That only only the elite, you know, can come to the table. The rest of you get the kids' table. And one day if the right person dies or if you fill in the right spot or you do the right thing, then you can also be considered a spiritual elitist. And so only the talented or the givers or the spiritually gifted or sensitive or intuitive can come and, and have a seat at our table. You know, I took a minute this week to reflect on some of my biggest non-spiritual moments. And I've had some humdingers, okay, to use a word from the South. I've had some moments where I was the most non-spiritual person on the planet. I've had some of those as a pastor. Some bad days where I was not spiritual. Okay, recently uh, I heard a sermon preached on this and the, the, uh, the speaker called it Me Me Too. And he was asking these questions to his, his body. He was saying this, do you ever get mad in traffic? Me too. That's what he said. You ever eat ice cream in your car so you don't have to share it with your kid? Me too. Okay. You ever wish you could change something about your spouse? Not me. I don't, I don't want to change, change nothing. Tell you right now. That's where I drew the line. What about when people hurt your kids? They hurt their, their feelings, man. You get you get riled up. So 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 do I. So get this about all of us this morning. There's not a spiritual elite group. There's not this this we gotta we gotta debunk this myth. That only the elite can sit here. That only the givers and only those who are gifted and only those who have a strong leadership gift can come and have, have a seat at our table. It's not true. Because in Christ, listen, every story is not a success story. But every story in this room is a love story. We, we have a lot of stories that are not pretty. And a lot of you would say, I don't even want to talk about what I used to be like because it wasn't successful. I wasn't that person who grew up in church my whole life and made a decision to follow Christ early. And 
was baptized and got plugged in. I've been serving God. Ever. That's not my story. And that's okay, but your story is still a love story about a God who came after you and you eventually turned around and you welcomed him into your heart and life. And that's wonderful. So let's, let's take a quick look this morning at who God is inviting to this table. Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, two through 4, it says this. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and watch this, and Matthew, the tax collector. Okay, so he has a title, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot. Okay, zealot is not his last name. That's another title. Okay, so Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So let's just take, take a look at a few of these. Matthew, the tax collector. Let me start with Matthew by saying this. Every one of you are going to be hurt at some point. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt. Okay? And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on, on this one, but I want you to answer it in your heart. How many of you have ever been hurt in church? Okay? Every single one of us is going to be hurt at some point. We're, we're going to be hurt at this table. We're going to be hurt by people who we love the, uh, the dearest and have the closest to our life. At some point, somebody's going to say something, do something. And it's going to hurt. It's going to have some sting to it. The same is about church. Sometimes we don't do it the right way, but, but we strive to. And so Matthew would hurt people. And Matthew writes the book of Matthew. Are y'all tracking with me? And, and he calls himself a tax collector. He writes this about himself. I love that about scripture because people who authored stuff, they, they were honest about who they were and what, what was going on. And so Matthew basically wrote that tax collectors had turned their back on, on God completely. We're not, even, we're not even trying to obey God. Even blatant sinners found their motivation by saying, at least we're not a tax collector. And some of you, you made a conscious decision to walk away from the table because someone hurt you. Because a Matthew entered your life and in some way, purposefully, intentionally, or unintentionally hurt you. And you have stood up and pushed your chair back. And you have walked away from this table of living life with other people because someone hurt you. And hurt is very real. But listen, if Matthew gets a place, so do you. Okay, let's look at Simon for just a second. It says Simon the Zealot. Let me tell you what that is. A zealot was a person who had two main agendas, to hate the Romans and hate tax collectors. Okay, there's a lot of history there. But so you've got Simon the, the Zealot, and one of the people he hates is also has a seat at this table. We talk about that for a while. There's some people in this room, you call yourself a, a, a Christian. And maybe they're not in the 8.30 service. Maybe they're in our 11.30 service because you're trying to put as much space between you as possible. There's another person who goes to our church who calls themselves a Christian. But you don't like each other. It'd be like Matthew the tax collector hanging out with Simon the zealot. But here's the amazing thing. Only Christ can put those two people and personalities and agendas at the same table. Only he can do that. And so because of Christ, they sit together. I love this story about Mephibosheth. I'm glad my name is not Mephibosheth. 
But if you look at the story of Mephibosheth, this was Saul's grandson. And so David is trying to find, he's at this place in his, in his kingship where he's really confident. He's gone day to a day. He knows, he's very comfortable with who he is as a king. And he gets to thinking about his friend Jonathan. And he says, I really want to bless the house of Jonathan because of all the help that he did for me. And so he says, I want you to find an heir. Okay, now typically when there was a shift in kings, when it wasn't a biological coming after, they would kill everybody else off. So Mephibosheth doesn't really want to be found. But the story is that in, at some point of his life, Mephibosheth, as an infant, is dropped and now is lame because of that. Okay, so let me, this is a whole sermon, but let me, let me just parallel it for just a moment to what I'm talking about. Mephibosheth, someone in his life hurt him. And because of that hurt, he's lame. He's going through life crippled. He's limping through. He's trying to, to get on with his life, but, he, but he's crippled, okay? Now, you can plug that in immediately to what I'm saying. Someone somewhere in your life hurts you so bad that there's a part, a piece of who you are that now spends its Majority of time limping. You are slow to get engaged. You're slow to get involved. You're full of fear. You've got reservations. You, all of those. Why? Because someone else dropped you. Okay, they 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 hurt you. But the long story short is David finds him. He says, "I want to bless you, and I want you to spend the rest of your days in my house, and I want you to come to my table and eat." Here's here's the big truth. When you sit at the table. And you pull yourself up to it. No one sees the disability any longer. No one sees the, the limping legs, the weakness. No one, no one sees the problem any longer because it's been shielded by the peace and the confidence of the table. And, and there's such a big spiritual metaphor there because... Because Christ is saying, listen, no matter what hurts you've got and what's happened and, and who said what, it doesn't matter anymore. Just pull yourself up to the table and enjoy the company of your family. Find your place. Be more than just someone who finds a church and says, I think I can go here and I can, I can love our worship and love the speaking and love leaving right after. No, find a seat. Find people to live life with. Do you know that in Arkansas, the average person attends church once every eight weeks in our state? Okay? Here's why. Because there's a huge disconnect in finding your place. People find a church, but they don't find a seat at the table. Okay? For all kinds of reasons. And there may be a lot of people in this room. You are just like Mephibosheth. Hurt. On the verge. Another church experience. You've done nothing but brought that one to, to this one. And, and now you're still just kind of in angst about certain things trigger you and bother you and cause you to be upset and cause there to be tension and cause you to... Listen, it's, it's time to find your seat and enjoy the people of God. To trust what God is doing and who God is. Let's look at one, one more this morning, then I'll close. Judas Iscariot was at this table. 
You know, when we look at, at the life of Judas, we, all, all that we see is the whole story. But do you know that when these people saw Judas, they didn't know he was going to be, betray him. And it's possible, stay, stay with me, it's possible that he was the most trusted person in the room other than Jesus. Why? Because he was the treasurer. You don't, you don't give your money to someone you don't trust. Right? You don't do that. They trusted him. And this is a big, strong truth. So stay, stay, stay with This is why it's important to find your seat. Judas is proof that you can be around Jesus and not be changed. He's proof that you can be around church, be the same person. It's proof that you can come, if we take just the life of Judas, three years heavily involved in, 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 in the life of Christ. Saw miracles, heard his voice firsthand, felt his touch, never had a heart change. So you can come to a church and you can hear a word, you can even raise your hand at church, you can even tithe and not have a heart change. The changing of the heart comes when you find a seat at the table and you start living life. And you open yourself up to what God has for you. That is what Judas saw Jesus as an asset, just a way to make his life better. And listen, I'm personally convinced that had had Judas not committed suicide, he would have been invited to come back to this table. Once Christ was resurrected, you know who he found? Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Lord, you know I love them. Feed the sheep. And he brought him back in. He would have done the same thing to Judas. There's no doubt in my mind. Thomas was at, at, at this table. From what, what we know in Scripture, Thomas was a skeptic. Do you know that Christ never called him doubting Thomas? We, we're the ones who's come up, up with that. But Thomas was skeptical. Okay, don't, don't you love just being around skeptical people? They've always got, I don't know about that. You can tell them, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Recently, and this is kind of funny, but re- recently, Pastor Rick was at Cracker Barrel in Conway. And he was in line. This guy was behind him. You know how Arkansans are. They'll ask anybody what, what they do for a living. Hey, he says. Pastor Rick turns to him. Yeah. I think I know you. <laughs> really? He said, what do you do for a living? Y'all like my country twang I'm throwing out there? <laughs> what do you do? Well, I, I pastor New Life Church. He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> he says, I know who pastors that church, and you're not him. Matter of fact, you work for the city. <laughs> Rick said, okay. He just paid his, paid, his, paid his meal. People are skeptical. Sometimes you can get up as a church. We love God. No, you don't. We're really trying to do our best. No, you aren't. You know, we, we really need to do this or that. No, we don't. Skeptical. Put the brakes on. Thomas was a skeptic. And listen, I'm, I'm going to get real personal really fast, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to end this. But this, this, is, this is true, and I've got to put this out here. We often have times of being skeptical. And it's easy to be a skeptic when you are hurting. Okay? I'm going to make this about our church for just a minute. We've had so many people 
this this past year, I, I'm, I'm going to say these past 90 days, that have had a lot of loss. We've had people who were expectant parents who had a miscarriage. We had people who found out my parent is sick and within just a few weeks died. We had people in this church who called me and said, hey, I had this great job lined out. I quit my other job. And I was going to this job. And I, I worked there three weeks and they cut me loose. They, they came to me and told me that they were just going to do away with this whole area. And now I don't, I don't have anything. It is so easy in those moments of hurt to be a skeptic. God doesn't love me. Stand up, push away from the table. We forfeit our seat. We go home for a while. We miss church. We disconnect. We unplug from all those people who are filling our life with faith because now we're, we're being like Thomas. Okay, but listen, Thomas stayed at the table. This is important, okay? 2017 for us. We're going to talk about finding your place a lot because we think it's so important that you be more than just someone who attends our church. We're thankful for that, y'all. We're grateful for it. We want you here. But what we want even more than for you to attend is for you to help us be a better church. And we will be a better church and a stronger church if you'll just pull up to our table all of your hurt, all of your weaknesses, all those places in your life that are skeptical and crippled and, and broke. And listen, just spend some time with God and he'll fix it all. He'll fix it all. Don't forfeit your faith. Let him work it out. Let him work it out. There's not a single Bible character in Scripture that didn't have some pain. Let him work it out. All right? I want to end right there today. I want you to just bow your heads in this room today.